Hey everyone, welcome back to all my listeners. Now I hope you're all having a great day so far. And if it's your first time finding me, thanks so much and welcome. Welcome to a brand new season. This is season seven, episode number three. Today is Wednesday, September 21st, 2022. My name is Sonal Patel and this is the Paint the Medical Picture podcast series. Now, all right, you guys, I'm going to be diving into all things Medicare Advantage today. That's right. Those are those non-traditional Medicare plans that are offered through various commercial payers like United Healthcare or Cigna or Aetna or Humana. And I'm going to be rolling out that red carpet once again for one of my very favorite trusted physician advisors, and my newsworthy guest today, Dr. John Zellum. And I'm going to be closing out today's episode with some inspirational words on purpose and impact from Estee Lauder. If you guys have checked me out on LinkedIn, you know I'm all about compliance and protecting our physicians and valued healthcare professionals when it comes to the business of medicine. I hope this week with me brings you enough to take back to your organizations, to want to dive in deeper, to use my tips and best practices to ensure success. I hope this podcast will help you boost the quality of documentation capture and improve coding accuracy as you help all of your providers paint the medical picture. If you like what you're hearing, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button now so you don't miss another episode. Please write in a review and kindly drop me a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to my podcast. I'd really love your support. And as always, a friendly disclaimer. Remember, I'm bringing you the news, current healthcare industry news, my compliance tips and my recommendations based on my over 12 years of experience in front office, in back end, in coding and in billing for multi-specialty physicians, in compliance and in auditing for both ENM and surgical operative reports. These are my opinions alone and are not to be construed as legal advice. All right, I'm so excited to be bringing back a favorite repeat guest of mine in today's Newsworthy. I'm bringing back my favorite trusted physician advisor, Dr. John Zellum. I really wanted to bring you back on today, sir, because I was simply mesmerized by your article in Rack Monitor last week. That's titled Leveling the Playing Field, Medicare Advantage versus Providers. Now, this article is full of your insights that I think all of us in this particular space need to hear. So that's why I asked you on my podcast today and you happily agreed because you agree this is a very necessary and newsworthy topic for all of us to know about. So welcome back, John. Thanks so much. Well, Sonal, thank you very much. It's it's great to be back on your program. I've always uh, thought very highly of, of what you tried to do. And, you know, the article really is, uh, it, it it's, it's the result of some of the things that I've been doing. I recently have been, uh, I've become a uh, part-time physician advisor for two critical access hospitals. And in doing so, there, there was a great, um, a great 
seminar that was produced by David Glazer. Now, David Glazer, I'm sure you're familiar with from Rack Monitor. I love listening to that man. And he's got such a great presence about him and and a way of presenting. (laughs) And he talked about how the Medicare Advantage organizations are uh, basically how to win with them. And I'll be honest with you, I'm tired of them being bullies. Uh, And based on what I have done, I actually have had four peer to peers with um, United Healthcare, Mm -hmm. who has become such a big bully. And they all are, they all have become bullies. And uh, I overturned all four of them so far in favor of the the, uh, critical access hospital. The second hospital that I'm working with, as a matter of fact, we had a conversation today that they just seem to be getting hammered mm-hmm. by these these Medicare Advantage organizations, the MAO. That being said, they, they're getting hammered, and I think they found them to be an easy target, and it's time to help them. And w- the, the things that I've learned, uh, is that it w- which is what was expressed in that article, is that... First of all, in doing these peer-to-peers, I'm finding out that these medical directors don't have all of the clinical information that they should have. And they say, well, why not? We sent it into them. The answer is yes, you probably have, but their utilization nurses will kind of parse out certain parts of the of the chart that they give to the medical director so they don't have all of that information. Yes. So there's two parts to doing a peer-to-peer. There's the clinical part. And then there's the regulatory part. Most people do not understand or know the regulatory part. And that's 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 evolving. That's evolving. And especially lately, within the last couple of months, the OIG has come out with a report that stated that the Medicare Advantage organizations are denying too many services. And the reality is, is that uh, Medicare fee-for-service is a great reimburser for uh, the care that is given. The problem is, is that part B, part C, and part D are all separate, so you have to pay extra for it. The beauty of a Medicare replacement plan is that you get all of that, and I myself uh, uh, have a Medicare replacement plan, uh, and the coverage is, is great, but the problem is to the providers. They deny things so easily. And the reality is they'll tell you, oh, we don't have to follow the two midnight rule or we don't have to do this. We don't have to do this. The reality is, is yes, they do. do. There are are regulations. You know, when you think about it as a Medicare beneficiary, you're entitled to certain benefits and you're entitled to those benefits based on the Social Security Act 1852, which requires MA plans to provide benefits under the original Medicare fee-for-service program. Now, can you think think about it this way? Uh, You're a Medicare beneficiary, you're entitled to these service by federal regulations, and yet these companies try to deny the hospitals for providing the services that they're entitled to. So that's the first thing when doing a peer-to-peer or even a written appeal, although your best bet for getting an overturn on a denial is with a peer-to-peer because you don't know what they're going to do with that written or, or emailed peer-to-peer, I mean, uh, uh, appeal. Mm-hmm. They may just throw it away or look at it and say, ah, this is too long. I'm not going to read it and uh, we'll, we'll uphold the denial. 
But the reality is, is your best chance is based on a, a peer to peer. So that's the first thing that the um, Social Security Act 1852 says that the MA plans must provide the same benefits. And they they try to get away with that. They have all sorts of proprietary levels, such as uh, United Healthcare now has Interqual, but they don't have the 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 Interqual that everybody else has. They have their own modification of it, their own version of it. And they'll tell you, but you know, you ask them about it, they'll say, well, that's proprietary information. Well, maybe it is, but this, but still. The other thing is, is they they may not follow the two midnight rule, and that's okay. But on the other hand, CF, uh, 42 CFR 422.101 actually says that these MAOs can be, they cannot be more restrictive than Medicare fee-for-service. So if they tell you that, oh, you have to be in observation for three days before you can be an inpatient, that's not true because they must follow federal regulations. And the two midnight rule is a federal regulation. It is 42 CFR 412.3. So therefore, it is, it, it is a federal a federal regulation. And it, it says that an inpatient admission is generally appropriate for payment under Medicare Part A when the admitting physician expects the patient to require hospital care that crosses two midnights. And the expectation of the physician should be based on, and it goes through what that is. So there's a, another federal regulation, and the MAOs must follow federal regulations. They don't have to follow the manuals. They can set up their own contracts. But if it's a mandated federal regulation, they must follow it. So therefore, there's another statement in favor of the provider who is providing these services that must be covered by the MAO. And the, the important thing is, if you look at 422.101, in essence, it says that each MA organization must meet the following requirements. A, provide coverage of, by furnishing, arranging for, or making payment for all services that are covered by Part A and Part B of Medicare. They must comply with CMS's national coverage determinations. They don't have to follow local coverage determinations, but they must follow national coverage determinations. And number two, general coverage guidelines included in the original Medicare manuals and instructions, unless superseded by regulations in this part or related instructions. So therefore, there's another mandate. And I will tell you that as far as I can see, most MAOs, the medical directors, have no clue about this knowledge. They have no clue about these regulations and what they must do. And as I mentioned before, that the the OIG is also saying that these Med Medicare administrative organizations are denying too many things, and they're going to start coming down on them for it. Uh, it'd be interesting to see how that all takes place. But the, the one last regulation to bring up, oh, uh, just to add, there's an FAQ that came out and it says, do the two midnight rule provisions and the provisions regarding the order and certification for Part A payment apply to MA plans? And in essence, because of this uh, 422.101, it says that Medicare organizations may choose to be more lenient 
than federal regulations, but they cannot be more restrictive than federal regulations. So in essence, you have a patient uh, for, on an MAO plan that uh, crosses two midnights and they're an inpatient. They're an inpatient according to the two midnight rule, which is a federal regulation. And that's why it's important to know this. And I laughed the first, the first, uh, uh, peer-to-peer -peer that I did uh, in a while, but I, I started stating some of these things. So I gave the medical director the clinical information and he uh, he was missing some of it. But then afterwards I started stating the regulations and I got to the point where I said, and you must mm -hmm. follow these regulations. He says, okay, I have enough information. Thank you very much. I'll, I'll overturn this, this denial and goodbye. Okay. That was it. <laughs> That was it. That you quickly. just brought out the regulation and he said, fine, we can end this call and everything can be paid. Yep, absolutely. I mean, just abominable, in my opinion, um, oh, yeah. that the regulations have not been followed for so long. Mm -hmm. And this is surprising to me that this OIG report came out right in, I think it was in April by Christy Grimm. And it's just kind of shocking to me that it's been stated in the regulations for so long. It's been in black and white for so long. And these denials have been getting worse and worse over time. That's and because nobody challenges them. Nobody challenges it. But you clearly stated to my audience the regulations, right? 1.a.b.c, like you kept going. So there's plenty of you know evidence there for these various MAO directors to look at. It's right there. It's publicly available. It's not hidden away. It's not hidden in you know layers of dust buried somewhere. No, it's publicly available on websites for all of us to read. Um, so thank you for that. But there's one more blatant reminder. Okay, please continue. There's please. there's one more because okay. remember it was cross two midnights and require hospital services. So they the, the MAOs will do everything that they can to tell you that these services could have been provided in a lesser, lesser mm -hmm. setting. Mm -hmm. But the definition of inpatient hospital services, which was revised in 10 on 10103, mm -hmm. comes from Title 18 of the Social Security Act. You can't get more regulations than the <laughs> than the act. <laughs> uh, and also in the regulations, uh, 42 CFR 409.10. And it says that subject to the conditions, limitations, and exceptions set forth in this subpart, the term inpatient hospital or inpatient critical access services mm -hmm. means the following services furnished to an inpatient of a participating hospital or of a participating critical access hospital or in the case of emergency services or services in foreign hospitals to an inpatient of a qualified hospital. One, bed and board. Well, that's the basic of that's a service. Right. Two, nursing ser services. And that's nurses have to be there mm -hmm. and other related services, which could be OT, PT, use of a hospital or critical access facility. So very basic. 
medical for medical social services five drugs biological supplies appliances and equipment six certain other diagnostic or therapeutic services and seven medical or surgical services provided by certain interns or residents in training so therefore those are the basic services that are the definition of inpatient hospital services. So, you know, you, so you start getting these denials and, and you bring up these, these three facts, actually maybe there's four, but you start bringing that up and all of a sudden you have enough proof. And, and actually in one of, the, one of the appeal letters that I wrote, I said, and to not follow these means that you are in default of federal regulations and subject to potential penalties. Wow. So, wow, I love that. And I, and, I love and, that you included that in the appeal letter. I love Brilliant. turning Brilliant. around and being the bully to the bullies. Exactly. I mean, uh, yeah. So your article was, you know, just impressive to me on just stating the common sense that right. should have been used all of this time. And the people who are who have been suffering, right, with right. all of these types of prior authorization denials time after time are the patients right so the president of the ama has spoken out right um i think there's been a big bill that's going through the house that's been passed through the house right to make these types of changes finally happen mm -hmm. um to like your title says level the playing field it has to be fair right. to me in my mind as a non-md it just doesn't make any common sense that these MAOs thought they could be more restrictive than Medicare, than traditional Medicare. Yet they're getting I, paid. Yet they're getting Medicare services. Exactly. So it's completely unfair. Um, well, what's also unfair is when you look at an organization and I'm not picking on them. Yes, I am picking on them. <laughs> when you look at United Healthcare. <laughs> If you look at their last quarterly earnings, where they where they made billions of dollars right. yes, billions. at the expense yes. of hospitals. Yes. And right now, uh, hospitals are struggling so much for so many different reasons. Mm -hmm. And United Healthcare and their parent company, United Health Group, mm -hmm. are making billions of dollars yes. because they're beholding to their stockholders. Yes. Not to their employees, no. not to their patients, no, and and anybody else who who works for them. And it's it, you know it's 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 becoming a monopoly, and I know I'm speaking strongly about it, but it's true, it's true if you take a look at it. So that's pretty much uh, the story. That's you know what goes along with the article, but the the, the reality is is that. Um, it's time to stop to stop the bullies. I agree That's with exactly you completely. And I'm happy that this bill is going through the house, right? And you know, hopefully finally we can see some actual transformative change that has been mm -hmm. long long overdue in this space. Right. Um but I completely agree with you that the only way to continue to beat these guys is to fight back. Um, you can't just write it off and, you know, say it's fine and just not care. The appeal process um, can be done swimmingly um, with people like you who can take charge of that.
I completely agree with you um, that those peer to peers are the way to go. Absolutely. And there's a television program that I, I really enjoy in talking about bullies and it's America's Got Talent. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever watched it, but how many times somebody who's performing up there gets up there and they said, I've been bullied. I've been bullied. Right. They do their performance. And then all of a sudden, one of the panel, one of the panel uh, of judges will hit that magic button and say, well, here's your response to the bullies. Mm-hmm. And that's what we need. Well, I totally appreciate you coming on today and sharing your profound insights with my audience on, you know, what's been going on for years, way too many years with the MAOs that have gone unchecked. But I think you and I can see some change happening on the horizon. So, And I I will offer that for anybody that has any, any more questions to, if if you get questions based on this podcast, Mm -hmm. Uh, feel free to send them out to me and I'll try to answer to the best that I can. I absolutely will, Dr. Zellum. Absolutely. I will put all of your information in my show notes, like I always do. Mm -hmm. um, So people can reach out to you directly as well. Absolutely. So I hope I can have you come back on again next time you write some incredible article (laughs) with great nuggets for my audience, because we all need to learn from people like you, people who have been in this field for so long and also hungry for the change that we need to see. So thank you so much. My pleasure. And now it's time for my best practice tips in trusty tip. So in today's new compliance tip, I wanted to continue to focus on the Medicare Advantage organizations, the MAOs, for my insightful conversation with Dr. John Zellum in Newsworthy. Now, that OIG report by Christy Grimm that I alluded to is from April 2022, and it's titled, Some Medicare Advantage Organization Denials of Prior Authorization Requests Raise Concerns About Beneficiary Access to Medically Necessary Care. Now, in that report, it says, quote, although MAOs approve the vast majority of requests for services and payment, they issue millions of denials each year, and CMS's annual audits of MAOs have highlighted widespread and persistent problems related to inappropriate denials of services and payment. As enrollment in Medicare Advantage continues to grow, MAOs play an increasingly critical role in ensuring that Medicare beneficiaries have access to medically necessary covered services and that providers are reimbursed appropriately, end quote. Now, that's the most critical piece here, right? So let me say it again. MAOs play an increasingly critical role in ensuring that Medicare beneficiaries have access to medically necessary covered services, and that providers are reimbursed appropriately. But what are we ending up with, right? We're ending up with providers not being reimbursed, right? They're not being reimbursed appropriately since those services are being flat out denied in so many cases. And then of course our patients are not being treated at all or their treatment is delayed. Regardless, both patients and providers are losing out here with the never-ending disruption that prior authorizations are creating. 
And moreover, the key takeaways from this OIG report are pretty huge, in my opinion. Now, the key takeaways that they outline in the report are that MAOs denied prior authorization and payment requests that met Medicare coverage rules by these three things. Now, they were using MAO clinical criteria that are not contained in Medicare coverage rules. So that's takeaway number one. Takeaway number two is that MAOs are requesting unnecessary documentation. And finally, the third takeaway is that the MAOs are making manual review errors as well as overall system errors. Now, the report goes on and cites all of the Medicare coverage rules that MAOs must adhere to unless an exception applies. Now, let's be mindful, there are a total of 21 chapters in the Medicare Managed Care Manual. So that manual is broken down into 21 total chapters that should be closely reviewed by those MAO directors as well as by all of us working in this particular space of healthcare. Now, some of the chapters that are cited in this April 2022 OIG report include the Medicare Managed Care Manual, chapter number four, which is titled Benefits and Beneficiary Protections, as well as the Medicare Managed Care Manual, chapter number five, which is titled Quality Assessment, as well as the Medicare Managed Care Manual, chapter number six, which is titled Relationships with Providers. All right, so encircling back to the facts that although MAOs must follow Medicare coverage rules, they are also permitted to use additional clinical criteria that were not developed by Medicare when they are determining whether to authorize or pay for a service, as long as such criteria are, quote, no more restrictive than original Medicare's national and local coverage policies, end quote. Now, that quote is directly stated in the Medicare Managed Care Manual, chapter number four, which I stated earlier, is titled Benefits and Beneficiary Protections. Now, again, that quote is found in chapter number four, section 10.16. Now, that section itself is titled Medical Necessity. Now, as you read that particular um, section, it states, quote, every MA plan must make determinations based on these three things. Number one, the MA plan must make determinations on number one, the medical necessity of plan covered services, including emergency, urgent care, and post-stabilization based on internal policies including coverage criteria no more restrictive than original Medicare's national and local coverage policies reviewed and approved by the medical director. And then number two, every MA plan must make determinations on number two, where appropriate involvement of the organization's medical director per 42 CFR section 422 0.562A4. And finally, third, every MA plan must make determinations based on this third item, this third final item, which is the enrollee's medical history. For example, 
their medical history of diagnoses, of conditions, and of functional status, physician recommendations, and clinical notes. Furthermore, if the plan approved the furnishing of a service through an advanced determination of coverage, it may not deny coverage later on the basis of a lack of medical necessity. And you can find that in the Program Integrity Manual, Chapter 6, Section 6.1.3a, end quote. So the evidence is right there in the Medicare Managed Care Manual that I just stated to you. And most importantly, CMS agreed with all three of the OIG recommendations in the April 2022 report based on their findings after their review and analyses where the MAOs denied requests that met Medicare coverage rules and their own MAO billing rules. So this allowed the OIG to identify opportunities for improvement to ensure that Medicare Advantage beneficiaries have timely access to all necessary healthcare services and that providers are paid appropriately. So those three recommendations to CMS, that CMS concurred, they agreed, these three things need to be done. Number one, issue new guidance on the appropriate use of MAO clinical criteria in medical necessity reviews. Number two, to update its audit protocols to address the issues identified in this report, such as MAO use of clinical criteria and or examining particular service types. And finally, third, CMS agreed with this final recommendation from the, o- from the OIG to direct MAOs to take steps to identify and address vulnerabilities that can lead to manual review errors and system errors. And finally, I focus season seven spark on purpose and impact. I want this seventh season spark to be filled with our world's thought leaders, writers, artists, philosophers, everyone who inspires the need for purpose and impact in all that we strive to do. So in this week's inspiring quote in Spark is from Estee Lauder. I didn't get there by wishing for it or hoping for it, but by working for it. Absolutely true, right? I think this quote inspires us. It reminds us that hard work dedication and commitment are the start of our legacy. It is through that work that we can all make an impact in our lives, in our communities, in our businesses. I am happy Estee Lauder's spark still burns brightly in all of us today. So that wraps up today's episode. And as always, I appreciate you all diving into today with me. If you want more information from me, please go ahead and follow me on LinkedIn. I'll leave links to everything in the show notes below. Please have an amazing week ahead and please continue staying safe and healthy. Now, in today's final fun note, I always look to my friends and my colleagues for inspiration. Be it in their food pics that they post or the vacations that they take or their inspiring quotes or their beautiful conversations with me or simply catching up 
on all of their amazing podcasts. Make sure you're all taking the time you need each and every day to claim your mental health vitality. Take a walk, sit out, and eat some lunch. It really is the simple things in life that keep us grounded and whole. And of course, get those updated boosters, please, and those flu shots as soon as they become available to you. Thank you so much for listening in on today's very special episode, and I hope every week with me brings you closer to helping your providers paint a masterpiece. See you next Wednesday.